than Thank this you, one. Thank you, Don. Appreciate it. Is it okay if I move this? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Thanks. I know, I know Trev usually kind of goes freestyle in the mornings, but I'd rather not do that, if that's okay with you guys. Uh, but don't, don't think I'm overprepared, uh, because uh, I just got in from the Dominican Republic uh, last night around uh, 9 o'clock. For, for those of you that don't know, um, sorry, I should introduce myself. My name's Burke. Um, I, uh, I'm on staff with a, an organization called Crew, uh, and it's, it's a college parachurch ministry, and, and basically all that me- means is, is I spend all day long on, on college campuses, uh, meeting with students one-on-one, uh, teaching them how to have a personal ministry, leading Bible studies, and, and, and that sort of thing. And so this week, since it's spring break, we took a group of about 32 students to the Dominican Republic and, and went on a, a college campus. There's uh, a movement there uh, led by a, a Dominican couple and a few Americans, and, and so we just kind of came alongside them and, and helped, them, helped, helped them gain some traction and, and get, get moving forward. It was a great week for me. I was not really in charge of anything. We put our interns in charge of it, uh, which uh, I highly recommend having interns do stuff like that. If you have any interns in your job, I don't know. Maybe you are an intern. I'm sorry. Uh, but interns are great. And so I basically got to spend the week just, just interacting with our students and, and helping them process through what they were going through and, and coaching them on, on how to be more effective ministers of the gospel. And, and also this week, I, it was really cool. I, I got to see three different people trust Christ this week. And, and, and that was among um, probably a dozen throughout the whole trip. I don't really even know the full answer. That's just kind of what I put around. And so it was, it was just really gracious of God to to use broken people like us in, in that way to, to bring people into a new relationship with him. Um, but, but while I was there, we, it's, it's interesting. Dominicans are a lot different than, than Americans. They're, they're much more open to talking about their spiritual life than Americans are. And so you can kind of just plop down and run up in front of one of them and say, Hey, my name's Burke. I'm from America. Do you want to talk about Jesus? And, and they're ready to go from, from that point on. And in fact, um, more often than not, they would, they would bring it up with me. And, and, and I, I think that's, that's not necessarily because Jesus is really important in their life, but they, they kind of had, you know, they, they knew why I was there. Uh, there aren't a lot of white people wandering around the University of Santo Domingo, but you know, I would get in conversations with them about Jesus and, and what they thought about him and what they thought a relationship with God looked like. And there was this overwhelming consistency in their responses that, you know, the way that I have a relationship with God, the thing that makes me um, okay with God, the thing that will get me into heaven someday is how I perform. Um, a girl was even trying to explain it to me in Spanish, and, and I couldn't quite understand what she was saying. So she actually took my hands, she put one down and one up high, and she said, good and bad. And, and the idea is, is that we, we believe in, inerrant, inherently that, that we have to be better people than we are bad to be loved by God. And, and if you've ever been around the church, you, you know that this, this isn't true. You, you know that, that's, that Jesus didn't come uh, to save a bunch of good people and leave all the bad people behind. That, that's not the story of Jesus' life at, at all, but 
But at the same time, even though I know this, there is something about me and about my heart that just wants, wants to be good enough. Right? There's something about me that is, is striving and, and working with, with everything that I have to, to be a good enough person for God so that I can somehow earn his love. And, and that's, a, that's a problem. Because that's not the way we were created to be in relationship with God. And, and so we're going to look at a passage of scripture today that was actually written to a group of believers. Just, just like you guys. Uh, a group of believers who, who had been following Christ for a while. But, but I think it was, it's really interesting that when Paul starts out this letter to the believers, he, he wants to go here first. And, and so we can read this passage knowing this isn't just... This isn't just some simple gospel message for, for a bunch of Dominican students who, who don't really have a relationship with Jesus, who don't really spend any time with church. That, that even, even though I'm mature in my faith, even though I've spent, for, for some of us, an entire lifetime walking with God, there, there's something about the truth of this gospel message that, that my heart will just, it will just never fully understand and never fully grasp until I'm face-to-face with God. Uh, and so to that end, let's go ahead and pray before we get started, and then we'll get started. Uh, Heavenly Father, just recognize my, my own inadequacy to, to preach this message this morning. Um, God, uh, in and of myself, uh, I cannot reveal your character, and, and I cannot change the heart of, of anybody gathered here today. Uh, and Holy Spirit, we need you. We need you desperately to, to come and, and be here among us, uh, to fill our hearts with, with your, your wisdom and, and your, your goodness, and, and to teach us about who you are. And so God, pray that you would be working in our hearts, drawing us closer to you, so that we might experience a deeper relationship with you. God, we love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so thought we would go to Ephesians chapter 2 this morning. Um, like, I, like I said, this is written by Paul to actually the church of Asia Minor, which is, is sort of like modern-day Turkey now. And, and so it was actually a form letter written to a lot of different churches. Uh, we just picked one the one to, to Ephesus, because it was kind of the, the biggest church. Uh, and, and so we've called it the, you know, the church to the Ephesians. But, but this was uh, a church that, that, excuse me, a letter that Paul wrote to a lot of different churches. So it applies to people in a lot of different situations. But, but like I said earlier, it's written to believers, and, and so also to us. So here we go. Starting Ephesians ta- chapter 2, verse 1. And you were dead... In the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. 
For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So there, there are kind of three main parts to this passage, and, and we'll just take them one at a time. And, and the, the first section is kind of verses 1 through 3, and it's, it's Paul talking to people, uh, a group of believers, specifically here at the church in Ephesus, about how they used to be. Uh, and it's a, it's a pretty bleak picture. You know, they were following the prince of the power of the air. That's, that's the enemy, Satan. And, and the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. And, and so there's the prince of the power of the air, Satan, is in direct rebellion to God. And, and, and he says that we were following the spirit of disobedience. And, and so we see from the get-go that we're in this state of rebellion with God. That, that our, our sinful nature, the, the, our, our tendency to want to, to go our own way rather than what God wants, that disobedient attitude is, is considered rightly by God open rebellion. And so it goes on to say that we were children of wrath. And so the, the, the natural response of God to our open rebellion is, is wrath, right? So God is a righteous judge. He is completely holy. Uh, there is nothing bad in him. And so when someone openly, openly rebels against the, the king of the universe, the natural response is is judgment and, and, and condemnation. And, and that's the way that it ought to go. And we would never, we would never go in a courtroom and, and hear a judge say, oh, you know, you were in open rebellion to the United States of America, but other than that, you're a pretty good guy, so we're just going to go ahead and give you a pass. And, and, and so, but, but before he, oh, and then he also says that it's like the rest of mankind. And so there are kind of two ideas wrapped in that. And the first is that this is everybody. All of mankind, this is our problem. All of mankind is an open rebellion to God. And the, the, the idea is that, I mean, it's real similar, but, but the other idea is, is that we're the way of this world, the things that the world teaches, the way the world works, the natural order of things is just like this. That, that since all of mankind is this way, in, in a lot of ways, the societies that we have created and, and the values that, that we hold um, espouse values that are in open rebellion to God. And, and there's, but all of this, he starts out, he starts out with the word, a word that sort of describes the whole condition. And he says, you are dead. And, and there's, there's a whole lot of, a lot of talk about what exactly that means. It means to be dead. And, and an obvious answer is that, you know, our sin separates us from God. And, and, and so our, our natural condition is, is that we're, we're, we're spiritually dead inside and, and we can't, and, and we don't experience full, the full life that comes from God. But, but I think there's a little bit more wrapped up in that. When, when I was in college, I had a fish. 
and he, he lived in a little bowl, and, and he was a black moor fish, so I named him Othello. So, a couple of Shakespeare fans in the room, I heard a chuckle. Uh, so, uh, and he was a good little fish. Uh, I kept him alive for a, a pretty long time, and he was like 88 cents at Walmart, so I was pretty proud of myself, but I uh, had him in a little bowl, and, and you know, one day I was, his, his water really needed changing, but, but I, was, I was in kind of a hurry. And, and so uh, I was living in a fraternity house, and so I took him to the bathroom and changed out his water and put all the little drops in it and, and took him back and then, uh, you know, set him there, and, th and then I left and, and did whatever I was doing that evening. When I came back, my, my roommate Michael was there, and he was sitting on the couch, and, and I walked in, and he says, bro, I've got bad news. And, and you know, I'm terrified of what the bad news is, and he says, Othello's dead. And, and I was a little bit relieved, but that, that was the only bad news. But, but at the same time, there was, you know, my, my fish was dead, and, and there's a problem there. And, and the problem is, is that there's nothing I can do for him. I think what I did, I think I made his water a little too hot. And, and so when I put him back in, the poor guy probably had the little fish equivalent of a heat stroke. But, um, I know, that was probably an unnecessary detail, I'm sorry. Uh, so, and he's sitting there, he's, you know, he's belly up, and he's, he's bobbing in the water, and he's dead. And there's nothing I can do for him. I, I have no ability to help Othello. I can't give him a little fishy CPR. There's nothing I can do. And he, his little fish buddies, he didn't have any, he was, he was a loner. But, but even if, if he had had fish buddies, there was nothing that his little fish buddies could have done for him. He was dead. And, and, and there was certainly nothing that he could do for himself. He was completely helpless to get himself out of the situation that he was in. And, and our spiritual deadness is exactly like that. That we cannot help our rebellion against God. We cannot help being children of wrath. It doesn't matter how hard I work. It doesn't matter what I do. I will always, 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 no matter how hard I try, if I'm working just in my own power and the, the power of the people around me, I will never, ever change my condition of spiritual death. And that's, that's just the sad truth about it, that, that, that there's nothing I can do for myself. But God, right, that's the next line. But God, being rich in mercy. So a couple things right here. Principal actor, who... Who is acting? It's God. We're helpless to help ourselves. We're dead. You know, we're not treading water and, and somebody comes along and pulls us out. We're dead at the bottom of the lake. But God, being rich in mercy. Mercy is an interesting, interesting word. It, it kind of has two meanings. And, and one is, is that it, it means that it, it's, it's the relief of of, a, of somebody's suffering. So like if, if somebody is thirsty and, 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 I, and I give that person water, that's mercy. If somebody is hungry at the city rescue mission and some people go and, and feed them, that's, that's mercy. But mercy is also withholding the due punishment that somebody, somebody deserves. And, and, and so if, if somebody owes me a debt, 
if, if my, my roommate hasn't paid me rent in the past two months and, and I give him a little bit more time, even though, even though he should have paid me by now, that's mercy. And, and, and so it, it's two things, relieving, relieving suffering and, and withholding punishment. And so God, being rich in that, being very merciful, being very willing to withhold punishment, being very willing to, and, and even desirous of relieving our suffering because of the great love with which he loved us, because of his sacrificial love, because, because he was more concerned with, with our ability to have a relationship with him than his own comfort in heaven, he made us alive. We didn't make ourselves alive. He did it. God the Father, through, through the life and death and resurrection of the Son, Jesus, and, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, made us alive. And so I'm not dead anymore. Right? I'm not a son of disobedience anymore. I have the, the power through, through God who lives inside me to, to obey God. To choose to do what is good. And I am, I am not under wrath anymore because God has made me alive. And, and, and I'm, I'm, not, I'm not in open rebellion to him. But, but mostly not, not because I'm not in open rebellion to him, but because when Christ died and rose again from the dead, he didn't just pay for our sins, right? This, I think, is a really common idea in, in the American church. Jesus dying doesn't just wipe the slate clean so you can start writing good things on it. Jesus, Jesus takes our, our sin, all of the things that, that we have done, done, thought, felt against other people, takes those upon himself, and then he replaces our own nature, our own righteousness with his own. And so that when God looks to judge me, he judges me righteously, not through what I've done, but by what Jesus has done. And so when God looks at me, he looks at me as if I lived a perfect life. He looks at me as like if I fed thousands. Like, like if, if I had, you know, healed people. Like if I had lived a life of poverty, serving everyone my entire life. And, and, and that's what it means when, when God raised us up and seated us with him in the heavenly places that positionally when, this isn't past tense this has already happened if you are in Christ so God, God has raised us up and seated us with him in the heavenly places so that when God looks at me now he, he sees me as, as if I have the righteousness or the goodness to sit next to Christ to, to be in relationship with him. That, that God looks at me with a, a positional righteousness that no matter what I do, I cannot lose. It, it doesn't, that, that if, if I have placed my faith in Jesus, I cannot lose it. Let's talk a little bit more about how that gets there. Paul says, Paul says this twice, so we know it's, it's really, really important. But he says, it's by grace through faith. 
that you have been saved. Not your own doing. And, and so, so grace, you know, it's, it's more than walking pretty or whatever. It's, grace is God's unmerited favor. The, it, is, it is a gift that I do not deserve. That I have done nothing to earn and everything, everything to not deserve. And, and, and so God gives it to us freely through faith. And, and, and I, think, I think that through faith means, means just a couple things. It means faith that Jesus is God, that he really did live and he, and he really did walk a perfect life, and, and that he really did die and, and raise again from the dead, cleansing me from my sins. And, and, and I think it's faith that that's enough. It, it, it's faith that that, that that act of Christ is enough to bring me into a relationship with God. That I don't have to do it and something else. It is not by works, Paul says, so that no one may boast. That it is, through, it is through the grace of God that we are in relationship with him. And I, and I cannot go to, to anybody I've ever met. I can't go to some person sitting on the street. Um, I, can't, I can't go to, to somebody who's, who's living, living a life of debauchery or, or somebody who's in sexual sin or, or somebody who's, uh, you know, overcome with greed. I can't go to them and say, hey, get like me. See how awesome I am. There's no room for that. Because I am saved alone by the grace of God. And, and the truth about me is, is I would be just as depraved, just as much, just as dead as, as they are if God had not acted in my life. And, and so this theme of grace, this theme of there's nothing you can do to, to get it or, or lose it. it it's, it's not as prevalent in my life as I would like it to be. And, and let me just point out some symptoms of, of how I just, I, I, know, I know that as a church, big, big C church, we're, we're, we're doing a bad job at really living in God's grace. And, and idea, and the first is, is that the overwhelming objection to Christianity when I'm talking with college students on a daily basis, the overwhelming one is that I feel like Christians are, are judgmental hypocrites. And if we understand grace, there's no room for that. There's, there's no room to, to stand in, in judgment over another person. And there's, there's no room to, to point to somebody's actions and, and call them out when, when, when my heart is just as sinful. And so don't hear me saying like, you know, clear, like clearly some things are good things to do and some things are bad things to do. Some motive, motives are good motives to have, and some motives are bad motives to have. 
So I'm not, I'm not saying that you shouldn't ever tell anybody anything truthful. But, but the hard attitude, the you're a sinner, I'm better than you attitude that people feel from us is it, just real. It's, it's going on inside my heart right now. That, that there's just something about me that wants to say, I've, I've been saved because there's something good about me, because I have something to offer God. And, and the truth is, is that God didn't need anything from me in the first place. And, and, and also, don't, don't think I'm saying that, that this, this gives us free license to do just whatever we want with our lives. That, that so, you know... We're, we're, we're covered in God's grace, so, so we, we get to do just whatever. But because the very last verse here is that you are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. And, and, and so what this, what this does, if you really get grace, if you really get the goodness of what's being offered to you, eternal fulfillment in relationship with God, like more... Pleasure and comfort and approval and, and satisfaction and safety and security beyond your, your wildest imagination. That's what's being offered to you, absolutely free of charge and at great cost, tremendous cost to the God who gave it to you. The natural reaction of your heart will not be, great, I can do whatever I want. The, the natural response of our heart will be, Oh my gosh, I'm, I'm absolutely in love with you. And, and I want to do whatever, whatever I can to show the, that overwhelming love that I have. Isn't it? Isn't that the natural response? That if we understand the cost, that it was God's very own son, that was the price that was paid? I mean, I, I don't want to. I don't want to take that for granted. The the other, but 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 really, what we're talking about here is, you know, wanting to try and earn it. And and what's also true about my life is is that I see this. I see this this goodness from God that's come into my life. I, I see the cost that it, it gave God, and so I want to I want to be worthy of it. And that's that's a good thing. But then there's also this, this tug at my heart that, that makes me want to say, I need, I need to somehow change my heart so that I am more worthy of it. You know, if I, I, want, I, I look at things like the fruit of the Spirit, like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, and I say, wow, God, you're so great. I want to be more loving and, and joyous and patient and kind. And, and I want those things to be true about my life, but I can't make them true about my life. And, and so I get really, really frustrated. But the truth is, is that my continual relationship with God, that growing closer to God, that, that falling more deeply into these works that, that God has created us, for us to walk in is, is not the result of me working to change my heart just as much it was that me coming into relationship with God in the first place. 
was me working to change my heart. It is still now, as I am a believer, coming, looking to follow God by the work of his grace in my life, by, by letting my heart marinate in his grace that I am changed. That the Bible says that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. And he is continuing to work in my, my heart so that I don't have to experience the frustration of trying to be a peaceful person. And I don't have to, to experience the, the disappointment that comes when I can't muster up joy in my life. Because there is grace that covers that. There, there is the unmerited favor of God. There, there is his love, unconditional love. No, no matter what the condition of my heart is. And, and, and if, I, if I look to that, if I look to God's goodness, it, rather than, than trying to make myself good before God, then, then I will fall more deeply in love with him, and, and the natural response of my heart will be to walk in these good works. Is this all making sense? How long have I been talking? I feel like I've been up here forever. All right. Um, you were not you were not saved by your own works in the first place. Please, 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 do not make the mistake of of living this tiresome, ti- tiresome, restless life of trying to think that you can make yourself good enough now or, or that you're somehow better than the people that have not yet, yet experienced the grace of God. Let me close this in a prayer. Heavenly Father,